The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. The bye week is over. The Tigers are back in action Saturday at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium against UCF, ranked UCF, number 25 in the country after knocking off Cincinnati this past week. Tigers sitting at 4-4 four and four overall, 2-3 and three in the conference, looking to snap a three-game winning streak against you know, a team that has looked probably as good as any team in the league. They beat Cincinnati and haven't played Tulane yet. Um, so a tough task ahead for Memphis if they want to get this season headed back in the right direction. There's lots and lots to talk to, both talk about, excuse me, um, revolving, uh, involving this game, as well as, you know, here we are now, the stretch run of this season. Last four games, three of them at home, what it all means for the future of the program. So we're going to dive into that in this episode. Evan, welcome in and uh, tell us, what what do you make of this UCF game? The the stakes aren't quite as high as some of the uh, UCF games of yesteryear, whether it be, you know, during the Mike Norvell era, for instance, um, stakes in terms of like conference championship implications but it still nonetheless feels like a high stakes game against UCF what do you make of the matchup I think it's going to be an interesting game on the field obviously you you kind of hinted at it it's going to be a game where uh, a lot can hinge on this off the field I mean we're talking about the fact that if you as Memphis if you win this game not only do you get maybe the signature win of the season you quiet some of the outside noise surrounding the program in terms of Ryan Sewerfield's status and some of that chatter that we had to, you know, talk about last week. But if you lose this game, you're four and five, you're under 500 for the second straight year. I mean, they were 0 and 1 after Mississippi State, but you're, you know, under 500, you know, at this point in the season, you're going to have a lot more noise. You're going to have a lot more concern. It'll be the first four game losing streak since 2013. Um, so there's a lot hinging on this game. Now, on the field, I think this UCF team is is quietly impressive in ways that are different than the, the Josh Heupel, Scott Frost era. Like, this is a true Gus Malzahn coach team in terms of being a run-first team. They run the ball well. They're a top-10 rushing offense, which, you know, as a non-service academy is impressive. Um, defensively, they're number one in the red zone, which will be a fun matchup against Memphis being a great red zone team. And they've done a good job on third down defense. They're 21st and third down conversion. Uh, uh, excuse me, they're 29th uh, in third down defense. They are long athletic. They forced quite a few turnovers, I believe, against Cincinnati last week in that win over a ranked Bearcats team. So this UCF team is a physical athletic team that's not going to try to outscore you with the pass, but they're going to try to run the ball. They do have two guys who are pretty good receivers in Ryan O'Keefe and Javon Baker. O'Keefe, you might remember, scored twice against Memphis last year. So they got some speed. They got some power. 
And obviously the big question is going to be if quarterback John Rice Plumley is healthy after he suffered a possible concussion um, last week against Cincinnati. Yeah, no, that's interesting because the line opened up with UCF a six and a half point favorite. It's now down to three and a half on in the books. Um, and I think that's a reflect that's probably a reflection of, you know, plum uh, there's pessimism that Plumley will be ready to play Saturday after what happened to him against Cincinnati. Um, that would open the door for Mikey Keene to start. He was the starter last year when UCF beat mm-hmm. Memphis. However, you know, that game comes with a grain of salt because Memphis was out with was without Seth Hennigan um and had to I believe that was the uh Peter Parrish game uh where he started and it was just, you know, they, they yes. were all out of sorts. It's hard yes. to it's hard to make a big conclusion off that game given the circumstances at quarterback, but um none I, that Plumley storyline will be a big one throughout the week um in addition to the to the you know the grander part of it of you know hey like they haven't suffered a four game losing streak since 2013 um and you know the reality is they're staring at a four game stretch here that you know if it doesn't go well could you know alter the future of the program i think um and beating a ranked team at home whether they have their quarterback or not um would be a you know a nice statement a bigger statement than than, than this team's made all season uh so to speak and frankly it'd fall in line with what's happened you know under Silverfield he, you know arguably the biggest win of his tenure as head coach was against UCF when he ended uh Memphis's three decade losing streak to to UCF in that 50-49 thriller uh, in the COVID year in right. 2020. And then even last year, I mean, they were four and four coming off of, you know, uh, four losses in five games um, and going into their bye week. And then they came out of it and beat SMU at home and a ranked a SMU team that was number 24. Um, and that one had some extenuating circumstances too, because that was also the week where it's it got reported that Sonny Dykes had uh, a contract extension sitting on his desk that he wasn't going to sign. You know, Lee in it kind of was the first official report that ultimately led to him being the head coach at TCU right now. Um, so that and I think that, frankly, I think it helped Memphis because I don't know. I, I think you, SMU had some distractions much in the same way. If Plumlee doesn't play for UCF, I think it could help Memphis. Uh, pull off a much needed upset. Um, And it does sound like because of the bye week, they're going to be a little healthier. Ryan Silverfield seemed to indicate Gabe Rogers, who was limited against Tulane, will be not so limited. Same with Wardallis Ducksworth, the defensive lineman. Um, There was one other player he mentioned, right, Evan, who's going to be back this week? Yeah, uh, Asa Martin is also should be back, back this week. Ryan Silverfield told us that on Monday, and as we record this Tuesday, I went to, I was at practice. Rogers, Martin, and Ducksworth were all present, so that is a very good sign for Memphis. They're going to have some some key guys back healthy, um, so that'll be a boost. So we'll see kind of how that goes, but yeah, it, guys are healthy, and that's encouraging because Memphis is going to kind of need all hands on deck to try to combat this uh, this UCF team. All right, I'm curious what the uh, perspective is from the UCF side of things. Evan, I believe uh, you spoke to a UCF beat writer this week. 
I did. Jason Beatty, who covers the Knights for the Orlando Sentinel. We we talked about the Knights. We talked about John Rice Plumley and what his status is, and also kind of got to know what uh what Memphis fans should expect this week. All right, let's hear from him. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to uh, get back to Memphis. I missed the 2020 matchup, but I was last there in 2018. So I always love me some good Memphis barbecue. Hey, you'll get plenty of that here. That's for sure. We don't have to worry about being distant or whatever. You'll get some good food, hopefully, if not at the game, before the game somewhere. I recommend And, and maybe after the game, too. There you go. <laughs> That's right. It's 2.30. So we'll, we'll right. have a chance to get out there and see that. So good. So um, obviously, you know, bringing you on, UCF is ranked, obviously. Um the big story right now is obviously on John Rice Plumley. So what's what's kind of the latest on on his status as we record this, obviously, on, on, on a Monday? Yeah, Gus Malzahn, uh, unsurprisingly, didn't share a whole lot about his status. They, he went the classic coaching route of, you know, we're just taking things day by day. And and maybe there is some truth to that. I mean, who knows exactly? You know, they UCF never actually confirmed it was a concussion. Um, Malzahn said after the game, you know, I think it was a concussion, but um, you know, whether or not it was or wasn't, I think, you know, I think there are some protocols in place, of course, but uh, he got hit hard nonetheless. And we know that we saw him stumble after he got hit trying to get back up. And of course, he missed the second half. So um, right now it's just they're taking things day by day and uh, we'll we'll see if he's able to go or not against Memphis. Definitely. And clearly the offense for UCF didn't lose a step. Mikey King came in. Memphis fans know him from last year. Um, how would you assess how he did? And just kind of, you know, with this being, you know, him being here for a second year under Malzahn, how comfortable is he running this offense compared to maybe last year when he had to step in once Dylan Gabriel got hurt? Yeah, that was the biggest thing we saw from Mikey last year as the season went on. He was more comfortable in the system. I mean, you have to remember Mikey is not Gus Malzahn's recruiting you know, quarterback. I mean, he, he came in under Josh Heupel and the previous coaching staff. So um, I think, you know, Malzahn knew Mikey was the most talented quarterback they had after Dylan Gabriel went down last year. And as the year went on, of course, the freshman quarterback is going to improve where you hope he does as he gets more experience. And, and, and of course, we saw him against Florida in the bowl game. That was his best game of the year last season. So I was unsure how he would look. And the fact that, you know, you mentioned it, they didn't drop a beat. I mean, uh, a lot of that has to do with Mikey staying ready and staying prepared. I think it's a, a a learning experience for a lot of young players and say, hey, look, you just you never know when your card is going to be called. And Mikey's gone through this twice now, last year when Dylan Gabriel went down and now this year when John Rice Plumley goes down. So I, I think it says a lot about Mikey's perseverance and, and his maturity and uh, the fact that he's a winner. I mean, he he's a winner at all levels of football and. Uh, you know, his performance against Cincinnati, he won that game. He led them down the field twice, two fourth quarter scoring drives. That was, uh, you know, pretty remarkable for sure. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, you look at a guy like him and say that if Memphis, whether or not John Responley plays or not, Mikey Keene is still going to be a tough, tough matchup, even though he may not be the runner. Would you say that's pretty accurate that just because he can still orchestrate this offense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have playmakers like Javon Baker, who, who's new to the team this season, Alabama transfer, Baker and I think Memphis knows very well about Ryan O'Keefe and the speed he has and you know Kobe Hudson's another guy they brought in from Auburn with you know so I think as long as you have a quarterback that can get the guy get the but the, get the ball to those guys you know it's an explosive offense regardless of who's back there but you know with Mikey you mentioned he's not he's obviously not as mobile or as explosive as a runner as John Rice but he still has uh you know an understanding of uh, being a little bit of a mobile quarterback I mean he had a nine yard run where he outran the linebacker against Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, he's not Tom Brady out there <laughs> in mobile. But 
uh, of course, he, he, his arm is his strong suit. and He knows the playbook really well. I mean, you talk about who's going to start at Memphis. You know, there's an argument to be made whether or not John Rice is cleared or not, that Mikey's the performance he put on, maybe he earns a starting job because of that. Um, you know, so we'll have to see what happens moving forward and uh, who, who plays against Memphis and, and moving forward on beyond that. Game. Definitely, definitely. We'll get back to this offense in a bit, but this UCF defense, I'm, I'm kind of in, in very impressed with. It kind of reminds me of some of those those playmakers they have, you know, in 17 and 18, like the Richie Grants of the world. Um, what's What's been keying this defense being so good where UCF has only allowed two teams to score more than 20 points on it this year? Yeah, it really starts up front. You know, that defensive line, Ricky Barber, uh, Trayvon Morris-Brash, Josh Salisgar, some of those guys on the edge over there, uh, and, and inside with Barber especially. I mean, those guys are, are forces to be reckoned with. I mean, uh, they did a great job of getting to the quarterback the other night. That was something they had struggled with. They hadn't recorded a whole lot of sacks. They had done a really good job of recording co- quarterback hurries and making quarterbacks throw the ball out. I mean, UCF for a while they were facing quarterbacks who got the ball who got the ball out pretty quickly. So they weren't getting a whole lot of sacks, but obviously I think they recorded four. You know, Ben Bryant took a beating. Some of those guys they had a safety uh, that almost resulted in a fumble recovery for a touchdown, but uh, Bryant was down. Uh, before the ball came out. So they got a safety nonetheless. I mean, I think it really starts up front and their ability to, you know, really contain quarterbacks and stop the run. And, um, you know, you look at the secondary, Devon Wilson, and some of those cornerbacks, they really like to play man-to-man. And, you know, some of those DBs make plays on those 50-50 balls. And, um, you know, I think the defense just takes a has taken a big jump under Travis Williams in year two. It sounds like it because honestly, when I'm, you know, when you look at UCF, we always think about offense. We think of just them going from hypo. Obviously, their offense was so great in Malzahn. We knew eventually the offense would get going, but defensively, the way they've been able to just stop teams and make them have to work. I mean, I've been really impressed by them. And I think that's going to be a a tough test for this Memphis offense because they're obviously trying to get more consistent and they, they like to spread the ball around a little bit, but it sounds like this, this UCF defense, first, they're going to get pressure up front, which Memphis has struggled with. And their secondary sounds like they're just athletic, strong. So I think it's going to be a good test for this this Memphis offense a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, you know, it's it's changed recently in the last couple of games, but really the defense, you know, carried this team uh, the first four or five weeks. You look at that Georgia Tech game. John Rice told me through for forty nine passing yards, and they don't run the triple option, and they ra- they ran the ball a lot, obviously, when you don't pass a ton. But the defense, you look at that final score, twenty seven to ten. Uh, you know, against an ACC team like that, the defense really carried them to that win. Um, so the, the, the defense, you know, it, it struggled against East Carolina, of course. Keaton Mitchell had some success, but to bounce back the way they did and hold Cincinnati to 35 rushing yards, that's that's really impressive. Yeah, I think to me, if you if you can stop that pound, that that physical Cincinnati team and match them and hold your own, that's that's impressive. Speaking of the run game, uh, last thing for me, let's let's talk about this run offense because again, we we mentioned before we got on air, it's very rare for a non-service academy team to be a top ten rushing offense. I know Memphis in 2018 when they had Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor was a top ten rushing offense. UCF is a top ten rushing offense. What's does this offense just kind of feel more comfortable with with Bowser and Harvey just kind of being those guys who can just you know get you or is it the old line just being just really, really physical? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the offensive line, that was their best game. I'll just say that against Cincinnati real quickly. But, you know, even throughout this entire season, that 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 trio of running backs, you just mentioned Bowser and Harvey, but Johnny Richardson as well. He's, he's kind of a scat back, real speedster type of guy. 
you know, they hadn't given him as many carries as he probably would have liked early in the year. And I think Gus Malzahn learned that, you know, giving the ball to Johnny is probably a good idea. I think Lewis Riddick, when he was on the call a couple of weeks ago for the Temple game, he, he and Matt Berry saw UCF put up 70 points. I think he called R.J. Harvey a, a, a faster Isaiah Bowser, but a bigger Johnny Richardson. So I think R.J. is really coming into his groove right now. I mean, he he was a guy that transferred from Virginia. He wanted to play quarterback at college and came back home. He's a local kid, uh, wanted to come back home and play for UCF, and he he was ready last season, but uh, he tore his ACL, and now we're really seeing, you know, what R.J. Harvey can do in, in the backfield. And he's just such a patient runner. Some of the cuts he was making, if you look at his highlights against Cincinnati, the moves and the spin moves he was making, he really sees the field well. And, and some of that does have to do with the offensive line playing really well against Cincinnati, but that trio of Bowser being a big back and Johnny being a speedster and R.J. having a little bit of both, um, you know, they're important in the pass protection as well. So. Of course, when you have a dynamic quarterback like John Rice, they're going to run a lot. Uh, that maybe that changes a little bit with Mikey Keene, but um, that running back room they have is is talented and, and deep for sure. Definitely, and I, again, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because Memphis has done a good job kind of containing run runners before this this three game losing streak, and obviously ECU and Tulane kind of had their way. So I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup how they handle this this power run game. But obviously, you know UCF is going to have speed, so it's going to be interesting. And you mentioned Ryan O'Keefe, two touchdowns last year. Memphis knows him well, so a lot of weapons, a lot of things Memphis have to keep an eye on. But Jason. I appreciate you coming on to talk to us about this UCF team. Looking forward to seeing you here and uh, safe travels to you uh, coming to Memphis. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to this trip for sure. Our thanks to Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel for joining us. Evan, your takeaways from what Jason had to say about UCF. Well, first off, I, I think I maybe undersold how good this, this run game is for for UCF in my head. I thought, you know, there's Isaiah Bowser, who Memphis fans might remember last year, but the trio of backs they have are really, really sharp. And I mean, they can give you a whole lot of weapons, which is kind of what UCF did in 17, 18. They didn't just have one star running back. They had multiple guys who could beat you a variety of ways. And also this, this D line being kind of strong up front. I mean, that's, that's going to be an interesting thing because we know that this Memphis offensive line has struggled to kind of, you know, establish themselves. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting game, not just from the run standpoint, but Again, it's going to come down to this offensive line holding its own against a very physical UCF defensive front. Yeah, now UCF has not been the same team away from the bounce house as they have been at the bounce house. I believe both their losses are on the road, correct? I think that's right. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they lost. They got pummeled by ECU 34-13 a couple weeks ago. Excellent. I'm mistaken. I'm mistaken. Their other loss was at home to Louisville. I apologize. Oh, that's right. They won on the road at um, Florida Atlanta. So they've only played two road games this year. Yes. Um, And, you know, and like I said, they went into ECU and got pummeled. So they, you know, the way they play, but, you know, they come back and beat Cincinnati the next week. The first team to beat Cincinnati from the AAC since Memphis did it in 2019. Um, (laughs) So... But, like, the, the point I'm making is they're a good team, but they're also, it feels like, gettable. I, I, I really believe that. I believed it going into the season, um, if you can play well. And that's a big if for this Memphis team. We've seen it in spurts, but not consistently. Um, but they, yeah, I think you, you had the stat earlier this week, Evan. What is it? Over the last nine games against ranked teams at home, Memphis is 8-1. and one, Is that right? 
That's right. Memphis is 8-1 at home against ranked teams. That includes the, Miss, the Ole Miss win in 2015, UCLA in 2017, the three teams they beat in 2019, and last year against SMU. And I believe with, with those four games I just mentioned, they're 4-0 four, they're four in their last four games. So they've done really well at home facing ranked teams. There's kind of been some level of energy and juice that they, they bring into these matches that helps them to get over on them. Yeah, no, they've 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 risen to the occasion uh, uh, quite a bit uh, during this run um, of eight straight bowl appearances, and that gets me to what I, how I want to close the show because I I do think it's really interesting. We're we're going in here to the last home stand of the year. The Tigers have three straight home games here before closing the season at SMU, and you know, two things that are worth really monitoring are one. You know, obviously, do you get to bowl eligibility? You got to go at least two and two, and let's 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 presume they're going to beat North Alabama, who just fired their coach in the second to last in the last home game of the year, the second to last game overall. So you got to win one of at least one of the next three conference games, uh, be it UCF at home, Tulsa at home, or SMU on the road to get bowl eligible. So there's that. You want to keep that streak alive, but also I think it's you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the crowds look like at these home games, um, given sort of the, you know, dis- I think it's fair to say disillusionment with the direction of the program right now. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if Memphis can pull, you know, like I think they'll be favored against a two and six Tulsa team at home. But can they win one of these other two, whether it's the UCF game this week or at SMU, because that feels like. That you know, if you can get one of those wins, it you know I'm not saying it rights all the wrongs that have happened, I guess, or the or the lack of momentum that you're feeling under Ryan Silverfield, but at least you can point to something at the end of the year um, to where you can you can make the argument whether people believe it or not, I'm not sure, but you can make the argument that hey, we're not making as much progress as we wanted to this season but we made some progress, even if it was incremental. Um, Cause that's to me is what, what would be the case. You could, you could make that argument again. I don't know if a lot of people would buy it totally. Cause I think some people have made up their minds already, but I think if you're the athletic department, if you're Ryan Silverfield, you can make that pitch with a straight face. If you, if you can end the season like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I got something coming up this week where we're going to look when I break down these opponents. And I, I agree with you. Basically, you talk that North Alabama game up as a win. You got to win one of these next, you know, one of the other three games to get to six wins. And I think it's possible. Like, look, let's say Memphis beats UCF this week. That gives you a good chance to maybe look at possibly seven and five. Right. If For sure. Get, For if sure. You that, if you take care of business this week. Maybe you ride into beating a Tulsa team that's also playing on short rest and has to fly here to play on Thursday night. And by the way, has a coach who's might probably on a hotter seat than Ryan, even. Exactly. So that can help you. That's a good help for Memphis. Like, again, you take care of business this week, you're in good shape. But if you don't take care of business, that Tulsa game gets even more important because obviously, as you said, they may be losing, you know, they may be playing for their coach's job. They may be trying to fight. That Tulsa team has obviously been battle tested playing, you know, Ole Miss and Cincinnati close, that game gets even more important. So you can sit here and say there's a very good chance Memphis still gets the six wins. The question might be, how do they look when they get that six win? Are you looking at six 
wins coming off a win at UC, against UCF and Tulsa, or is those six wins where you lose to UCF, beat Tulsa, beat Northern Alabama, and then you're looking at that SMU game to hopefully avoid six and six. So, well, no, 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 no. If you beat North Alabama and beat Tulsa, you'll be that's six wins. Yeah, so, yeah, but I mean like six and five. Like that'll be. Six yeah, you mean seven and five. and five to go seven and five? That's why. That's why I was sort of saying is like, you know, you went six and six last year, and I don't think seven and five is necessarily what everyone dreamed of when they thought about this team getting better this year. But at the same time. If you beat UCF or SMU and you get seven wins and you beat Tulsa, like you again, I think you can. Whether it's actual progress, I have my doubts, but you can sell it that way yeah. and you can justify some things if you need to, um, and and avoid some things if you don't want to if you don't want to do them. Um, <laughs> now the problem yeah. is logic and you know basically. What this team's done this year, what Vegas thinks, what logic tells you is that we're probably going to be presented with the conundrum of another six and six season where Memphis is going to make another bowl game. They're going to beat Tulsa. They're going to beat North Alabama and they're going to lose to UCF and at SMU because they're not going to be favored in either of those games. And it's going to present you like that situation is really tricky because there's going to be. A lot of people clamoring for a change. There's not going to be any momentum going into the offseason, really. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, if you're Laird Veach, if you're the decision makers at Memphis, you know, it means you're having to fire a coach who's bowl eligible. And that's, to my knowledge, never happened at Memphis before. Or at least, I shouldn't say bowl eligible, a, a coach that went to a bowl game. You know, because there were probably some years back, way back when, where they were bowl eligible, and just there weren't a, there weren't as many bowls back then. Right, but, right. Like, and so it's it's a very you know, and if you you know, if you're six and six, and you decide to keep Ryan Silverfield, well, that's fine if you believe in him. But the truth is, not that many people, not that many supporters are going to necessarily believe in that. And you're going to have, you're going to be going into next season, you know, thinking about you know how do we gin up some excitement about this program again. Um, and so it's a, you know, and frankly, they might still have to do that if they're seven and five, but again, at least then you can sell, well, you know, we're taking, you know, we made it, we took a step, step forward. It may not be as big a step as we wanted, but we took a step forward. And so you hate to say one game. And I don't think it, frankly, if I was, if I was making decisions and very clearly I am not ever, um, <laughs> You know, one game like that wouldn't necessarily determine how I think. But in the reality of college football, where things can change on a dime, um, you know, that one football game, one win can mean that type of difference between a someone, you know, keeping a job and losing a job. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case here, but it sure does feel like. If Ryan, if if Memphis and Ryan can right the ship this week against UCF, it do it do a lot of good for him. Um, it do a lot of good for him. Whether whether it would, whether it means he would be as you know he'll be successful long term, you know I and I, I have my doubts about that. But just in terms of, if you're looking at it from the perspective of Memphis, where they don't necessarily want to pay this buyout, you know they'd prefer to. You know, not have to, you know, not have to dip into whatever their reserves, whatever you want to call it. 
um, or they can't generate enough, you know, if this athletic department can't generate enough donors, you know, donors out of the core boosters, you know, that kind of helps you save some face if you can pull off the UCF win. Definitely. I mean, we said it, we said at the top, man, a lot hinges on this game in terms of perception and possibly how the season goes. And I think that adds a lot of pressure and, and look, you know, the decision makers in Memphis are probably going to be watching this a lot closely. I mean, they're going to be looking at this week as, hey, you know, what's the crowd going to look like for homecoming? You know, what's the mm-hmm. crowd, crowd going to be like for this atmosphere, you know, for this game? Because clearly, if you win this game, there's maybe a chance you might have some momentum carry you into these last two home games. We talked about how we think the crowds are not might not be great for Tulsa and definitely more than North Alabama. But if you can at least get this game to save face, put forth a good effort on ESPN to, you know, get something that you can, you know, stick your hand in and say, this is what, you know, Memphis did this year that is meaningful. It goes a long way. And if you lose this game, again, with all those factors I mentioned, ESPN to whatever the crowd's going to look like, you know, fans that come to homecoming, you were going to tailgate, who look at this team and say, you know, if you lose, depending how you lose, even more discussed, you're going to have a lot of pressure on you going into that Tulsa game. And I think that just, you know, it, it's it's weird to say this is a must win, but I mean, it is. It's a must win, not just mm. on the field, but off the field. And you yeah. mentioned, you also mentioned, you know, you also mentioned, you know, the, the lack of momentum for 2023. We both know this. They have a stadium renovations that they need to, if they want to start by 2023. So if you don't have that momentum, how are you going to expect people to get excited about, you know, whether donating or getting, you know, investors into those stadium renovations? All those things are kind of still in the background of how this season ends over this next month. So I think, and we, we talked about it before, this month is maybe the most important for the administration and this football program because there's so much hinging on what could happen, what might happen, what dominoes could come. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And, and especially like if you, you mentioned if Memphis loses, like if Memphis loses and UCF's playing its backup quarterback, that's not going to be a good look either. Um, so I'll end with this, Evan. Memphis beats UCF if. Finish that sentence. Memphis beats UCF if they play their best complete game of the year. If Seth Hennigan and the receivers, I say he's got to throw for at least 360. If, well, that part too, but also I think the defense has to force at least two turnovers. If you win the turnover battle, that's what win, that's what ECU did against UCF. Yeah, you got to win the turnover battle. Like we need to see Memphis be the turnover unit they were before the you know leading up to that fourth quarter against Houston. So I I'll say this: Memphis beats UCF if they win the turnover battle. That's the that's the key. All right, I'm gonna go with Memphis beats UCF if Seth Hennigan plays the game of his life. Because that's what it took to beat UCF two years ago. Brady White had to play the game of his life. And that's how you beat him 50 to 49. And my gut tells me you're gonna Seth Hannigan, if they if they're winning this game, as you put it, like whatever number you had, 360, whatever that is, Seth Hennigan's gotta play, he gotta play a lot better than he's played the last few weeks. And I think that just the game if he plays the game of his life, game of his college career to date, Memphis can win this game. I think that's fair, Mark. I think it's fair. So stay tuned, everybody, because Saturday is going to be a doozy. Yeah, we'll have tons of coverage over at commercialappeal.com leading into the game, 
on game day and coming out of the game. It'll be a short week next week with Tulsa coming to town on Thursday. So make sure you are staying tuned to the commercial appeal for all your Memphis football needs. Till next time, I was Mark. That was Evan. We will see you at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium this week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.